Well, this is one of our opportunities on the OHL podcast to have a conversation with a guest that you asked for. So Tyler, here you go. Tyler sent us a note saying he's never heard a story about John Tanner that didn't fascinate him. So sitting across from me now is the fascinating John Tanner. No pressure at all, Mr. Tanner. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for joining us. No problem, Mike. And I'm so glad I was requested. You said Trevor? Tre Tyler. 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 See, I'm getting older. Sorry, Tyler. But uh, yeah, that's it, when he said when you mentioned that uh, he hadn't heard a story that wasn't fascinating. Sadly, most of those stories don't involve uh, the ice or a puck, but that's another story. But um, <laughs> we'll get to those as we go along. Thanks for I'll having tell you, me. It's an absolute pleasure. And I've got to give you full marks for having hands down the best backdrop we've had for any of our guests here on the OHL podcast. A lot of people do a decent background for the recording yeah. here on YouTube, but you've got a championship Peterborough team behind you. I do. I do. I, I, and by the way, I don't live it every day. I don't, you know, bless the the mighty Pete in the sky every day. But if I showed you what was behind me, you'd probably think what a junk room that is. And yes, that's what it was as we uh, clean up our house. So yeah, this is a much better backdrop. It looks fantastic. I love those unis. We'll get into all of that stuff. But I wanted to start with something that you mentioned to me when we were emailing connected to get this conversation happening. And that is, of course, growing up in Cambridge, you would mm -hmm. spend your uh, evenings when you were supposed to be asleep. Sorry, mom, you said in your email, but you were listening yep. to Don Cameron call hockey games on the radio. Are you kidding? It was uh, I was born in 71. So late 70s, the early 80s is when I was I was already a hockey fanatic. I was a Canadian kid here in, in Cambridge. I mean, what else was there to do? Um, and I would definitely turn on and oh my gosh, if I can't, I don't know if it's the same AM and AM station as it always was, but I would listen to every game. I, I developed bionic hearing, uh, for my parents steps up the stairs, uh, to know to turn Don and the, and the broadcast down or up. And, uh, I heard them, uh, I heard the Brian Bellows goals, uh, the Jeff Larmer goals. I love Jeff Larmer, uh, for whatever reason, Paul Coffey. And of course, Wendell Young, you know, who ended up having a really good professional career as well. But uh, he wasn't the sort of the most uh, um, famous of that group in in the uh, Kitchener. But yeah, that was that was my life, man. And listening to them beat the finally beat the Greyhounds with Van Beesbrook uh, for the finals, go off and win the Memorial Cup. Yeah, it was a lot of fun as a kid. Loved it. And Don Cameron was the ultimate professional at the time. There's no question, no question about that. You you must have a memory or two of going to a game at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. Barely, because my dad just, he's too cheap. Um, <laughs> he, we, we rarely went to a game. And we got to go to a couple Leaf games, only if he got them through work. But uh, I went to a couple games in Kitchener, and I always marveled. I thought it was magnificent and and uh, and huge. And, of course, you know, it, it for that age, it certainly was. And, you know, and, and even later on, I always uh, considered it sort of a, a mini Maple Leaf Gardens. It sort of had the same kind of, I wouldn't say the exact same coloring and all that, but it had the same sort of uh, format in the building. And I, I really enjoyed that. You mentioned Wendell Young, obviously, because you too played goal. And the thing that always gets me about goalies, John, is the why. Why on earth would you choose to stand in front of pucks for a living? Oh, my God. I asked that too, Mike, um, <laughs> to be very clear. I mean, I have 120 something stitches in my face and I wore a mask. I was in the mask era and I got stitches and all kinds of, and my wife would probably say there's been some lingering head trauma, but that's another story. Um, 
why did I, I turned on a game and around 70, 75, 76, there was a game on TV, Buffalo UTV 29. I know it because we only had three channels uh, out in Cambridge and with our aerial system. And uh, it was Boston and Philadelphia. And when they weren't fighting, uh, Jerry Cheevers was stopping everything that game. And I don't know what the hell it was, if it was his mask, because he did have that trademark, the greatest mask in the history of masks with the stitches and whatnot on it, on his, on his mask. Um, he, I just fell in love with it. I don't know why. And my dad tried to convince me otherwise when in the, about the next year, I, I started playing hockey in the Cambridge minor system and uh, Galt actually. And for those of you who know Cambridge, it's, there's three components that formed in 1971, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but uh, I just, I, I can't say I fell in love with Jerry Cheevers, but I fell in love with it, that thing that he had, that um, he just stood there defiantly. He stopped, the flyers were barreling in on him. And if you knew the flyers from that time, they certainly were barreling. And uh, he was just outstanding. And I don't know what it was. I got it in my head. I think it was the equipment too, the pads. And they're awful compared to what I ended up wearing down the road. But to me as a kid, it was just magical. And uh that's why I did it. And I have a story, a subsequent story later on, if you want about Jerry, or I can tell it now. Please uh, do. But well, I got called up to my first uh, to play my first NHL game as a 19 year old. Uh, I was with London. I'd been traded mid season. That's another story later. You know, that one's coming. And so we, uh, uh, we just lost out in the playoffs in the first round. We were the number one ranked team in, in Canada. So we got knocked out in the first round and I guess the Nordique said, well, we suck. I guess we'll just bring in our junior goalie and play a game or so. So they called me up, uh, tracked me down through a bunch of people because I was off having fun after the season was over and uh, got to the oh, long story, slept in an airport in Toronto after connecting from London because the Nordiques, I guess, trying to save money, they put me on standby. And of course, I couldn't get a hotel room in Toronto because guess what was on? WrestleMania. So I slept on an airport bench all night, the night before my first game. And a nice lady from Canadian Airlines, the defunct Canadian Airlines, uh, came over and woke me up in the morning and I made my plane. And I got on the plane and I'm exhausted, nervous. It's the night of the game. And I'd been told I'm playing. Um, and I'm sitting in my seat and somebody's coming up. The, and I'm thinking, I recognize that guy who's walking up the aisle. And he stops and loads something up top. And I'm like, no way sits down beside me and I said, you're Jerry Cheevers, aren't you? And he goes, yes, I am. And I said, well, you're the reason I played goalie. And he looked at me like I'd given him a bola or something, but he looked at me, okay. And I said, yeah, I'm playing my first game tonight against the Hartford Whalers. And I, I can't believe it. And I was just sputtering uh, like I am now somewhat, but uh, he looked at me and he says, well, that's great. He says, I'm calling the game. I do color for the Hartford Whalers. So I talked to him the whole flight is a short flight to Quebec city, obviously from Toronto, but uh, I went on to have a pretty good game, got third star, you know, something like that in my first game. I think it was a, threw me a bone as a, as a first game. Uh, we lost because I was on the Nordiques. Um, we lost three to two. And uh, after the game, I went back to the dressing room. The trainer said, here's the phone. They knew the drill. I called my dad, my first game. And I told him, I called him. He says, yeah, you played pretty well. That was my dad for you. Um, you played a pretty good game. And, um, you know, I, I was like, oh, cool. And he goes, he said, yeah, he says, but Jerry Cheevers was calling the game. And man, he couldn't stop talking about you the whole night. And I said, well, dad, I got a little story for you. But uh, yeah, that's how my first NHL game went. The guy who I got me, who I 
fell in love with as a hockey player, uh, I got to meet him going to my first game, which I thought was a great story. Both my girls have used that in their class as a story for the class. So it's kind of fun. That is absolutely incredible. The guy that you idolize yeah. that inspires you to be a goaltender. And it sounds yeah. like he was more than happy to sit there and spend that flight, however short it was, but talking to this kid that's about to play his first game. He's just a really nice man. You know, he's long out of the game. He had coached afterwards. Uh, I think he'd actually, he was a real gambler. I think he spent a lot of time at the track. I think he even <laughs> had a job at the track, but then he got back into hockey and he was, like I said, he was doing color for the whalers and, He's kind of a colorful guy. He's just a really nice man. And uh, it was the coincidence is, is remarkable. His seat was next to me on a 170-something seat plane. Absolutely amazing. One of the other things you said there is something I wanted to ask about. And I guess sure. you partially answered that. But you get your first NHL game while you're still a junior. That's not something we see happen anymore. So how did that work that you could, you mentioned London gets knocked out in the playoffs and then Quebec calls you up, but we don't see guys going from junior to the NHL like that now. No, you don't. And probably shouldn't. I mean, it's the rare goalie who makes that kind of adjustment really well. I mean, you think Tom Barrasso, that guy walked in and won a Vesna trophy out of high school. Um, but no position, I think, in professional sports. That's a pretty grandiose statement. I don't think ESPN is <laughs> going to pick it up. I don't think I'll see it on Sports Illustrated tomorrow, but I'm just saying, I don't think any position has evolved and improved in terms of quality as goaltending in hockey. Um, after me, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, the techniques, the training, the attention actually paid to the position. Previously, coaches just kind of said, there's the goalie. I don't want to talk to him. He's a goalie. Uh, I can't blame them either, having met a lot of other goalies. Um, but, uh, that's, that really is the case. I did get a chance early. I'd had a great training camp, went back to junior, uh, got traded midway through the year to London and we ended up being the number one ranked team. I played some of the best hockey I ever played and I don't know they gave me a chance. And then, uh, when I left there, I said to the reporters, uh, cause I, I was up for that game. And then I, I backed up Ron Tugnet in the final game in Buffalo, um, my dad got to go to the game and see me skate around and warm up at least. And then between periods, but uh, other than that, I didn't get, he didn't get to see me play yet, but the next year uh, or after the, that season, I actually said to them, cause I don't, I don't know if I was dumb, but man, I wasn't thinking what I was saying, but I absolutely said, yeah, this year, this was nice. And I, uh, I, I really enjoyed it, but next year I'm coming back for a job. Now, nobody says that. And you shouldn't say that. And I came back and actually the next year I won the job out of camp as a 19 year old. So at that time I was the second youngest goalie to, to make, to play in the NHL at that point. But uh, the others were all better, unfortunately, since and, and before, but uh, yeah, I made the team and stayed there the first month. And when they realized we were going to be a, um, a tire fire again, they sent me back to junior and that's how I finished. But yeah, I made the team and you don't see it often and you probably shouldn't. It's such a critical position. You need the training. You need the maturity, the development, just about how to comport yourself off the ice, right? You know, you've got other things to do. Oh, you need an apartment. Oh, you need this. You got to be able to live, you know, and people like me, I was not ready for that, of course. Um, I was living out of a hotel for most of that. And it's just, it's just a lot. So, and just the physicality of, you know, these are grown men in the National Hockey League. These men have filled out they're ready to play. And it's, it's very rare at a younger age, even for a goalie who doesn't exactly have to be quite the Adonis in the fitness testing. Um, 
you still you, it's still a big adjustment so i i physically was almost six four and a couple hundred pounds i was ready to play and i in my last year junior i probably should have gone to the american league and i believe that's the rule now isn't it if you're in your final year if you're an underage like i was you came in at 16 i think that final year now you can you can go pro and i i was suited for that i should have gone to the american league for the rest of that year that would have been the best thing for me and my development but uh not to disparage the ohl by any means but at that point, once you play three years, if you're ready, you're ready, you know, um, and some players aren't, and some players come back as overage and, you know, and they can go on or they may not go on with a professional career, but, you know, they can enjoy their last OHL year, but uh, yeah, it's for goalies. It's, it's tough. Do you think it would have been different, John, had you been handled differently or developed differently after junior? Yes. I think that if I'd been handled better earlier on, but I also think you are who you are. And um, I was considered, a lot of people would call me a mature person. Um, boy, did I have them fooled. I was, you know, I had the intelligent level, I think, you know, I, I, more or less. Um, I, I, you know, if you, you gave me a quiz, I might get 100%. But in the quiz of life, I just wasn't mature enough. And I think uh, even in junior, I mean, when I came to junior, I was, I was a country rube in most regards. I just, I wasn't, uh, I didn't have, the, I had the social graces of maybe a howler monkey at best. I've seen them in Mexico. I'm pretty close to that. I just didn't have it and I wasn't ready. Um, and yes, I think that development in the minors is really important. Like Martin Berder, same thing. They put him in the minors, played against him, thought it's no big deal. They kept, they kept developing him. And then they brought him up on a team with an excellent defense, which would have been nice. I would have probably done better too with an excellent defense. They probably would have done better with a better goalie. So it's a, you know, it, it's, it's, it goes around, but uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. If they manage the, the players better and, you know, sometimes the players are just right. Sometimes you bring them up and they are just ready. They've got the maturity um, and they've got the maturity to grow. You have to be mature enough to be able to grow and develop. So that was my okay. two cents on that. You mentioned that you're a country rube coming into junior hockey, Cambridge kid, ends up uh, drafted into the Ontario Hockey League with the Peterborough Peets. And hey, no sludge nope. organization at all. You're playing nope. under Dick Todd. But what did you know about Peterborough when you were first drafted there? I just knew they had this uh, uh, incredible reputation. You didn't hear bad things coming out of Peterborough. You heard about all the pros that came out of Peterborough and the way they played. They were consistently near the top um, in the league. Now, I could be fooled. I, I could go back and, and uh, Google and find out they were lousy. But, you know, I'd heard about them for years. I was a historian myself. I'd look back through all the records. Who won this? Who won that? Um, I saw Peterborough going and playing those new new uh, Westminster Bruins uh, multiple times in the late 70s, 80s. I think they had Ken Ellicott as goalie. Oh, my God. Okay. That's digging deep in the reservoir here. But, uh, yeah, I grew up outside of Cambridge on a farm and uh, going there, even to Peterborough, uh, was challenging but I will say this I played on three organizations and at the time without question the most professional we'll say of those was Peterborough there was an expectation that you were going to do well and win you're going to play as a team I got 88 89 team behind you there's two players on there that had good like what you would consider a good professional career or NHL career uh, Ty Domi and Mike Ricci and the rest of us some of us played a little bit some of us went on to have great foreign careers, but we had two players 
that's not a lot for what you'd consider a championship OHL team, but we had a hell of a team. We had a good system. We had a good coach. It was just a, I would call it a great program. Uh, I don't want to say it was the Alabama of the OHL at that time, but it was close. Um, and when I went to the other teams, you would see fitness levels were not the same. The expectations in the players were different, not the same. But yeah, definitely, I would notice just the fitness levels. We, we put ourselves through our paces in Peterborough. I'd say ourselves. The coaches pushed us. But yeah, it was it, the other organizations weren't quite like that at that time. What was it like playing for Dick Todd? Was he hard on goalies? Didn't really talk to him a whole lot. <laughs> so he was fine. He seemed very stern. I, I got the sense, though, that if you knew him outside of the team, he's probably a fun guy, like a really fun guy. He loved to whip my ass in ping pong, um, and he did that to a lot of players. Um, but didn't he, he didn't talk to the goalies a lot. You, you, are you, you're playing or you're not playing? Are you hurt or you're not hurt? That's really, you know, that's really what it came down to. Um, you know, he, he, he didn't really, he certainly didn't coach us. Dick didn't have that kind of a background, but man, he demanded respect. Uh, I, our systems were rock solid. He was a, he was a friend and disciple of course, of Roger Nielsen. Roger Nielsen really, um, took that over, I guess, from Gary Green, I think if I'm right, who became the youngest coach at the time for the Capitals back in the seventies. See, I'm remembering stuff now. Um, but uh, Dick was solid, like a really good coach. And I think even when he came back, I think he, he didn't come back to coach a last place team, obviously, but I think he took him to the Memorial Cup again um, in the 90s, mid 90s, maybe something or in the 2000s, even, I guess. But, yeah, there was another yeah. one in the, that when Dick came back, it was the 06 team. That's right. And now his former trainer was his GM, Jeff Tui. Yeah. Um, do you know Jeff? I know him well. Get Jeff on here if you want to talk some stories about players and uh, he, he, he's an encyclopedia. We're connected on social. We haven't talked or spoken in a long time, but yeah, he, he'd be a great uh, person to have on here as well. And Jeff then became his GM and Jeff's gone on to have a really good career in, in sports management and whatnot and scouting. And I think he's scouting again now and I forget which team. I, I think he's, he's Phoenix for a long time, but yeah, he's not Phoenix now. He's with somebody else. That's terrible than that. I've lost track because I thought he was still there. You know but, what? He could be. I'm an old goalie. Just keep I, that in mind. No, you listen, know. I don't pay near enough attention. I'm so used to seeing Jeff. I'm not paying close enough attention to the affiliation. Yeah. He was great. He was our trainer. Um, and he was kind of all, he was that guy that would let Todd and I come in at, uh, most night, not uh, many weeknights and play ping pong while he did the laundry, got the equipment ready and all that and got to know him really well over the years. And he was always supportive. Um, again, I'm, I'm sure he made an excellent GM as well. Florida Panthers. That's I, I apologize. I just did a quick Google. I didn't know that Dick Todd was such a, a ping pong protege. I was more the protege. He was more the, uh, uh, the he was definitely the mentor, but I, I don't know if he was mentoring as much as just beating badly. Um, <laughs> me. But tried hard. Very defensive, right up at the table. He wasn't. Uh, he wasn't doing the big swooping uh, forehands and backhands. No, he's right at the table. Come get me. But yeah, it, it was a. It was a great organization that way. Um, you know, those are tough years. You move away from home when you're 16, um, and and you know, a, a lot of your viewers, your listeners, the the radio, I, maybe they don't always appreciate that. These are kids. You know, they are, they're boys. And uh, I was 16 years old and man, I was a boy. 
Um, and uh, but Peterborough had a good system. And it isn't easy, but uh, um, you didn't hear about Peterborough Pete's getting in trouble. Let's just be clear. Boys will be boys, as they say, but they weren't getting in trouble. They 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 kept their finger on the pulse of what the team was doing. And, you know, people can do what they want to do, but they there was an expectation and there was a sense of accountability on the players that I didn't see anywhere else in junior hockey, frankly. Um, maybe it wasn't as much fun off the ice there as it was in other places, though there was fun. But uh, it, it was just a, like, like I said, it was almost a professional organization. One of the things that always stands out about our trips to the Peterborough Memorial Center is, of course, those square corners that we talk about. Exactly. They, yes. They must have driven you crazy as a goalie, John. Um, some of the angles the puck came. Sorry, I was just having uh, some, some tremors. Uh, <laughs> I, I made that it, it actually made things easier once you learn them because you could slow down like, you know, teams couldn't attack quite the same way, right. With the same kind of dump ins and whatnot. And I was a I became a decent puck handling goalie. So that helped. And uh, for me anyways, um, but uh, yeah, some of those bounces that would come out of there, oof, they were awful. They were awful. I, I saw your, uh, your posting online and you were talking about going back to the Memorial center. And the first thing I looked at was the corners. I leaned in and yep. <laughs> Still as square as could be. They could just, you know, I mean, if you put a protractor in there, I think you'd get almost a perfect fit. So just saying. So but, true. As, of all the changes they've made, that has withstood the test of time. And about the second quietest arena in junior hockey, too, which wasn't the most fun to play with at all time. I mean, I mean, if you if you looked at each rank back in those days, if you looked at uh, attendance by retirement community, I think Peterborough was about second only to North Bay. You go to North Bay and wow, you think there was a cafeteria with lots of soup and crackers in the corner. But anyways, I digress. It hasn't changed much, John. It honestly hasn't changed much. Uh, you, you mentioned the name earlier, uh, along with Mike Ricci, Ty Domi on that championship team with you. Uh, was it obvious then who Ty was and what he would become? Well, if I remember correctly, he had 49 or 50 fights my first season. So yeah, it was pretty easy to know who he was. That was his draft year, and I didn't know anything about him coming in. We didn't have the resources. So I came in, and you see this guy who's a square, maybe a almost a rectangular, you know, bordering on a square, just so muscular, so powerful, uh, larger than life, and um, actually an, a really good skater, a good puck handler, um, decent hockey sense. I think Peter Burrell gave him that sense of commitment. That's why he could play so many years in the NHL. I'm not giving the Pete's all the credit for that. Obviously, Ty deserves a ton of credit, but the guy would always, he would be in the right position. He could play defensively. It's why he wasn't a liability and he could play so long in the National Hockey League. Was he a great hockey player? No, I think half his goals went off his butt. But I mean, he actually had skills. And if you watch him skate, my dad, my dad would say, man, he's a good skater. And I'm saying, dad, he just beat the crap out of two people. But my dad notices skating. But, you know, that's my dad. Um, but, yeah, he just absolutely uh, rolled through the league fight-wise because that's what it was. I was there during pretty much a heyday of, of toughness in the what we call what we call toughness back then. It's just and, and, you know, it's an incredibly difficult job. Imagine being Ty in 18 and having to fight every tough player on every team. Um, not that they don't do it now. I, I don't follow the OHL like I used to by any means. And I doubt the game's quite the same. 
I mean, the, the, if when if you looked at some of the players that we were playing against and and who I played with, I mean, we had I, I don't know six, seven guys over hundred over hundred minutes in penalties on that team at least, and those were not all tripper tripping penalties. Um, but Ty, yeah, Ty was an interesting fellow, tough as nails. And after that year, he got drafted uh, early second round to the Leafs. And the next year, if he went down the right wing, he had centered a right wing all to himself, pretty much. Even that uh, his draft year, he'd walk down the wing and nobody'd touch him. And he got 21 goals, 20 something goals, I think, that, that draft year um, on a probably about 30 shots. I don't know. <laughs> you, call it, for you. you call it that heyday of toughness. Yeah. fighting really in in the Ontario Hockey League uh, it occasionally would be bench clearing line brawls etc did John Tanner the goalie ever get involved in one no no um nobody really wanted to screw around with me I'm just kidding they probably would have <laughs> they probably would have a few years later they wouldn't have because I I, I I I could handle myself but um, no, and we didn't have a single bench clearing brawl at that time. They really branch and the rest of the OHL had, uh, and, and the CHL, I think it was Chinoweth out West at Chinoweth. They basically, uh, shut that down and made it so prohibitively expensive for the teams to let that happen. You weren't going to do it though. There was a game against Oshawa at home in Peterborough, which was sold out because it was Oshawa greatest rivalry in the OHL. Agreed Sorry. to this day. I agree with that. I haven't seen it in years, but I don't know where the hate came from. I don't know if it was GE, GM, what the hell it was, but man, I can remember looking over and there were two other players left on the bench in the third middle of the third period. That's all we had. The penalty boxes were overflowing. Players have been ejected. There was nothing left. Of course we won. Um, we were in first place. And <laughs> we almost never lost to Oshawa. It was great. Um, but uh, yeah, there was literally, it was one or two players. I looked over and I think I saw Andy McVicker and some defensemen I don't remember now and they were just kind of like you know it was it was and the and Jeff Hackett was across from me going hey you want to go he wouldn't have wanted to go with me but he and he didn't um he went on to have a nice career but yeah that beyond that oh my gosh we had some some and again you you weren't having multiple fights at the same time like the bench clearing brawls just because there was that expense and the penalty for it became significant but my first year was still the rule you could take off your helmets and fight. The second year, they took that away and made it a, um, a fine and something else. But uh, yeah, it was crazy. Crazy. I saw a Ty Domi. I got to tell this one. I'll just, this tells you about Ty Domi. This is the draft year. We're playing Belleville Bulls, who had a very tough team as well. Our whole division was tough. And they come in behind the net and him and Marchment crash in. I don't know whose net it was. Didn't matter. Smashed in, barely an inch uh, uh, given, dropped the gloves, and a fantastic fight. Marshman gave it, like, it was fighting a, a better fighter and just gave a great fight. Exhausting. Like the kind of fight you watch and, you know, opening the door for the other players. Oh, you know, it was that kind of fight. Ty goes to the bench or penalty box. He steps out of the penalty box, takes two steps. Troy Crowder, who was considered the toughest player in the league at that time, who might have been one of the, he was definitely one of the toughest guys in the NHL who would beat Provert the first time they fought handily. Just a huge man. And he just started pummeling Doma. And tries, Ty's trying to fight back. He's trying to lift his arms for one thing. And he just never had a chance. 
I'd never seen Tainomi lose a fight before or since actually, except, you know, depending what you want to call some of the NHL fights. He went, he never got a chance that game. He went to school. Yeah. I think he had a bit of a black eye. He wore dark glasses and he didn't for Ty. He said almost nothing for about two weeks. Why? We had a Saturday night date with the Belleville balls. And I, I, I always played in Belleville after the first couple of times because for whatever reason, those weird dimensions in that Belleville center, they're huge. It was Olympic size. We weren't used to that. And our, and Todd hated it for some reason I did okay in it. And, uh, the first shift they had, uh, I, Crowder's like on the sideboards waiting for a pass from his defenseman. Domi was spo- probably supposed to go in down the middle and curl around. He didn't go down the middle. Boom, laser right to the board, hammered him, dropped their gloves. Domi, Domi dropped his glove, took off his helmet. He's fighting a six foot four, at least six foot four. Crowder's just massive. And he's smiling at him and he pulls his shirt up and they go. And he grabs the most incredible grip he grabs Crowder's right hand and his left hand and Troy Crowder never got one punch in and he beat the crap out of him just boom boom and he's laughing into the crowd smiling into the crowd boom and he put him to shame I think he cut him open even I sorry everybody who doesn't like that anymore that's the way it was back then we bled and uh they went to the box Crowder didn't go near him all night Never went near him, and I don't even recall if they fought again. I think it was uh, that thing. I think it was solved. But that showed me how tough he was. Ty and I were not exactly close friends. We didn't uh, operate on the same plane on thinking and other things. But uh, I, I respected what he could do. I mean, that was what he was supposed to do, and he did it, and he got rewarded with it, and he ended up having a good career. Certainly did that. Actually, he lived uh, just down the street from me. Not, uh, you know, when we first moved into this uh, this area, and he since moved, but uh, yeah, he was actually in the area. That '89 championship, you win it on the road uh, against a, a good team in Niagara Falls. What do you remember of those final seconds, John? As it's counting down to the inevitable, because you drummed them that night. I think eight one in the final. Eight two. Eight two. They outshot us forty two to twenty something or thirty. <laughs> yeah. I got to be honest, I did play well. Their goalies did not uh, overall for that series. And we won in six games against the number one team in the league. Everybody thought we knew we could beat them. They thumped us at Christmas time when we had players at the World Juniors and players out sick. Um, and my uh, my our, my other, uh, my goalie partner, Todd Boysoon, fantastic goalie. I guess he read the tea leaves, knew we were playing, and his family took him to Venezuela for a few days for vacation. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. And uh, we got absolutely – well, actually, he played the first one and got thumped. I went to Niagara Falls, got thumped, and about 15 stitches on my hairline. Well, I think my hairline was down here at the time um, with a slap shot by J- J- uh, Jason Souls, first-rounder to Edmonton. Just – is like, come on. Last game before Christmas, really? Um but uh, yeah, they thumped us. We knew we could beat them. We went on the road. They thumped us. They beat us pretty handily the first game in their building. Uh, but we came back that sixth game, and yeah, it was 8-2. And uh, we, as I was talking to you earlier, we had a great team. We have two NHLers on that championship team, which isn't a lot for a junior championship team. But we played amazing as a team. We had players that you would n- you've never heard of, probably. Uh, Dave Lorenz. Jeff Ingram, two of the best penalty killers I've ever seen. They dedicated themselves to it. They'd sneak you a goal every once in a while. 
Um, we had defensemen like Mike Dagenet, rock solid, uh, absolutely great defenseman, Corey Foster, who ended up being a first rounder. I don't know if he played in the NHL or played a lot in the minors. I think again, we had a, a real interesting group of players who were dedicated to that team. And like I mentioned, the accountability in Peterborough, uh, the system was just fantastic. I still have uh, one of the players. I won't say who he may have cut me for 15 stitches, in the head but uh he'll, he's, he said on facebook come on tans you know we were the better team you just you guys get lucky <laughs> I, I was like i don't know that pal but uh i still got the ring and actually i don't i lost the damn ring but um it was it was the final few seconds so this is this is how somebody in it answers your question so i've answered all the others that you didn't ask but how did i feel it was the first championship since I'd won, I'd won since midget. And it was the first real championship, if you know what I mean. It was important. I grew up listening to the Rangers. The OHL was a big deal to me, country boy like me. And uh, I knew going into that third period, I was excited. I knew we were going to win. You just knew it. Because I wasn't giving them anything. So they, had, they had five of the top 10 scorers in the league. And, and Fogarty even got half of the assists they noted him for. Um, <laughs> Well, I think half of them were on the 403 on his way back home. Um, and I played, I ended up uh, playing a little bit with Brian Fogarty in uh, Quebec. Uh, you know, he tragically passed away a number of years ago. He he was, a, you know, a victim of, of, of some of his demons. And it's unfortunate. He's actually a, a really nice guy. Um, but uh, yeah, he, I think he had a lot of assists on the, uh, the, the QE uh, more than he did on the ice, but that's my two cents. But yeah, it was a, my dad was there and it was just, I don't know, you know, that commercial and the, obviously it's a Stanley cup. They ask the players how it feels and they can't, and they can't tell you that. I don't know. It just felt amazing. And, you know, we had the Memorial cup coming up, but I know that myself, the rest of the team, you just, what is it? The Ross, J Ross Robertson cup yes, or sir. whatever it was. Yep. Is it still the same trophy? It's it not. is. Yeah. Um, but it, it was something special. It was a special night, a special time. And, uh, you know, we went to the Memorial cup, Richie and, and Corey Foster both got chicken fox, chicken fox. Um, and we just went up against uh, some good teams and, uh, you know, that's just the way it works out and we didn't win, but it was something, it was something. I still hold that very dear. And, uh, the commit, I, I, I don't even know if I've been on a pro team that was as committed to itself as the players in that team, to quite frank. You know, like I said, two NHLers on a championship uh, junior team. Not a lot, yeah, especially it, in the late 80s. Sorry. That's impressive. Very impressive. Buying into, you know, what the organization expected of you. And especially at that age too, John, you referenced it earlier. You know, you're moving away from home at 16 and trying to fit into a new community, a new school, all these different things. And, and to get that kind of buy-in from junior players is pretty special. It was, but they also had a good mix. And the veterans that they would retain, either bring in as overage, they used that. They brought the right people in. Like Dallas Aikens is an NHL head coach now. Played a long time in the minors. I think he even got a sniff in the, in the NHL. But Dallas was, in my first year, was a, just a great leader. He didn't look down at me. Uh, didn't play the old cast system, you know, where you had to be the rookie and that. He just treated you as a teammate. Eh, there was a hey, rookie get me a drink sometimes but you know that's the way it works but uh overall they they always had a, a a good balance of those type of players they didn't load up on any one type or there wasn't like there won't be a team that comes in oh they got a great class of 
rookies and then they blow it up the year later that Peterborough would see it through and they move through in waves and they're just even I, I'd watched them through the 90s and I was like man they're just always good they're just always always good and I know Dick left and, and I think he went to the Rangers as assistant coach and they just uh, uh, just rolled on and Jeff Tui stayed was there GM and he just kept the system rolling and and I don't want to just say the system was the winners, the people who are, are uh, I, what do I say, the caretakers of that system. Um, it's extremely important if you want to have that kind of productivity and kind of a, I don't in those days, you didn't really call it a smaller market team, but in a, in a smaller team or smaller center, um, you know, that's what you do. And it was, it worked out well for them. And it's a big source of, it was always a huge source of pride to the, the people of Peterborough. I suspect it's difficult being traded at the best of times. It, leaving an organization like this might have made it even tougher. But what was it like learning that the Peterborough Peets had traded you to the London Knights? Oh, I asked for the trade. Okay. I asked for the trade. In probably the in an immature, silly way, I told the reporter for Peterborough, I want out. Todd and I are both number one goalies. It was our third season in junior. And I want to play. Play more. I want to play. And Todd wants to play. And uh, it's it's time. And that put pressure on the org. And they were not happy. The players were not happy for me. He never, uh, or with me, I should say, or for me, either way. Uh, it, 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 it created tension. It was disappointing the way I did it. But I had an agent. I couldn't seem to get anywhere. Dick Todd and the organization kept everything close to their vest. And they certainly didn't go around apprising players of their status and whatnot. So I asked for it. And I got it. And they told me, and I was thrilled. I was going to a really good team. Um, and the beauty of it was my first game was against Peter Rowe a few days later. It was like, okay. dude, yeah, first game in London. I go there, pictures everywhere. Oh, this is the championship goalie from Peter Rowe. Well, you know, one half, because Todd Boysoon, as I mentioned, is an absolutely outstanding goalie. And as I mentioned, you should have him on here. He'll have some great stories for you as well. And such an intense guy. Um, ah, his first season in the league, he just dominated as a rookie. And he he looked in his little goalie pads that he came into the league with because Peter Earl didn't have much of a goalie equipment budget is what I'll tell you. And he looked like a little doll out there. He was so small, but he was just, he was just so, he just seemed so indomitable. He was just outstanding to watch. And uh, I, I was, he impressed me. I wanted to be playing. But I learned a lot just from watching him and his spirit. It, it, it fed into what I wanted to be as well. But uh, yeah, I learned I was traded. Um, I was saying goodbye to some people I cared about. Um, but it was time. And I went to London. First game was in London. And we lost 4-3. I got like second star, third. Who cared? I didn't, couldn't have cared less. I stopped like 40 shots. And I don't know why. The team didn't play great. I didn't know them that well. But Peter Rowe wasn't as good a team. But they played the Peter Rowe way and, you know, they could catch anybody off guard at any time just by the way they played. It's sort of like the Bruins used to be. They play playoff hockey all year, you know, back in the 80s. I love my Bruins. I don't know why they didn't draft me. Anyways, <laughs> uh, they drafted Mike freaking Parson, who you had on your show some time ago. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got story there, <laughs> there too. Mike stole my junior B spot. He didn't steal it, but he was from Elmira and I ended up making the Elmira Sugar Kings ahead of him when I was a 15 year old and the team, the town was not too happy. So they 
sent me to uh, New Hamburg to the junior C team to play for the year while he played on the junior B team as a 16 year old where he got drafted to the OHL. So we both got drafted. We both got to play against each other, um, which was cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, they drafted him. Um, and I, I got to back up in our story here, but we were first game against Peterborough and we lost. And uh, I just, I got the fire going though. And I played it. I, I had a really good rest of the season. I don't brag about that. I can just state it. I had a great season. They named me their nominee for player of the year. I just went on a run and we had a, we had a good team. We had a talented team. We should have, we should have done a lot more. That's another long story. But uh, after that game, after that game, this sets the stage for a, a, another interesting story that I made you aware of. With that <laughs> yeah, night. it's your the the fans in Peterborough made sure they welcomed you back. Yeah, I've always had a an, a sharp, maybe acerbic wit, and um, and I knew more than two or three syllables, more than most of the hockey players. No offense, guys. I'm sure you anybody who's listening out there, if they do, I'm sure you guys are better. You're, you're working harder at school than some of us used to, but. I, I, they asked me after the game, Jim Cressman was the uh, reporter for London at the time. And he asked me, uh, how do you feel having lost? And I said, I, I feel like we just got beat by a grocery clerk. And that was the most immature, awful thing to say in a way, but I was just so emotional. And uh, at that time, because I just played the team I'd spent two and a half years with. And uh, just to be clear, Dick was a fantastic coach. He really was. Um, but he was a grocery clerk at one time. He basically got pulled in to be the trainer by Roger Nielsen because they were friends from baseball. That's as I recall it. And then Dick evolved from trainer to coach in the OHL. You know how that works, right? Um, didn't have any certifications, all that stuff. And he could skate on the ice. He wasn't going to do any crossovers, if you know what I mean. But uh, just to be clear, but that's the comment I made. And that lit a fire, an absolute fire under anybody listening or knowing back in Peterborough uh, made their quote, obviously with Mike Brophy was their, their reporter at the time. And, and Mike, if Mike could get any kind of a comment and sneak it in and create some kind of something, because he had ambition, as we know, went on to Sportsnet and do a bunch of other things, um, you know, he would report it. And so that's at the stage later on. It wasn't my proudest moment um, that everybody there thought it was funny. And I felt stupid as soon as I said it afterwards, of course, but I was a kid, I was a boy said something, got a little too big for my britches. Um, so I ended up going back to Peterborough. I guess I'll just segue into it. Uh, we went on to have, uh, in London, to have some great games uh, and win a lot of games and uh, be the top rated team in Canada. And so what's on our schedule? We played a Friday night game at home and we drive right to Peterborough, fun drive, London to Peterborough uh, for a, a two o'clock OHL game of the week on Global in Peterborough. And I played back to back. I played the night before and play the next day. That's what we did, right? I often, I played three games and three nights more than I cared to. Um, I just remember arriving in Peterborough. People were lying. I'd never gone to the visiting dressing room or parked outside the building before. And there were people lined up and I'm like, what the heck? And all of a sudden there's signs. And I can't remember what any of them said right now, but they weren't flattering. And I'd never heard this happening before in Peterborough, let alone anywhere. And they're just shouting at me. I felt like I was back in slap shot and I was uh, uh, Ogie Oglethorpe or something. And they are literally screaming, yelling. And I'm looking at my teammates are going, hey, they're happy to see you, JT. You know, it's great. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> walking in and I'm getting dressed before the game like we do. And 
there's yelling out there in the room and then there's a chant and i don't recall what it was now <laughs> guys are what the hell we went out for warm-up and the place was almost completely full never seen that in peterborough usually the retirees are lingering in a little after strolling in a little late and i'm skating around there chanting and yelling i don't know if there was much throwing going on but it was people leaning over the glass. I've never seen it like that before. And I'm skating around and I'm suddenly, uh, I got Louis DeBrusque on one side and Paul Holden on the other side. Uh, we all know who Louis was. Paul Holden, another excellent defenseman in the OHL. Holden says, I'll polite, I'll make it a little more polite. What the hell did you do to these people, Tans? And they just, they both laughed and shook their head. And we just skate around the ice. and. I would, the puck would hit me in warm up and they boo or, you know, it was incredible. So we went in and we're trying not to talk about it. We got a game to focus on and we just played last night, uh, the previous night, went out and it was insanity. Crazy. That yelling and screaming every time the puck came down the ice. And they were, of course, Peter Rowe, the Pete's were giving me the little extra bumps and stuff like that. They wanted that game bad. Well, they scored first and I don't recall how it happened and the you know, the crowd went insane, whatnot. Back then, I was cool as a cucumber, fine, cool. We scored late in the game to tie it. Uh, we went to overtime, and we won. And in 2-1 in overtime. And uh, the crowd went deathly quiet. I went off the ice, and nobody said anything. I said, who got first star? He said, you did. Yeah, I'm going out. I've never done that before. Sounds so arrogant. I got to tell you, I took a lot of abuse. Oh, and the best part that I didn't mention during the national anthem, the part that I told you about, the best part of the whole story, the crowd was buzzing. They're yelling things still at me. And there's just that energy in the crowd. And then there's a kind of a, a muffled surprise, something. And I see people's heads looking up kind of, because I usually didn't pay much attention because I was very focused. And even my player, the players were looking up. I look up. And there's an effigy, a goalie body with a pizza uniform with number one on it, a helmet on it, goalie pads with a noose around its neck. And they're lowering it down at the top of the building off. I don't even know what they called that. I don't even know what was up there back then. But it was like above the, around the press box area and they were lowering it down. And they hung, I hung an effigy. So that's how the game started. The game ended with me doing the biggest circle for first star, the biggest waves I've ever done in my career. So I feel they, they earned that as well. So um, I went off and then I had to talk to Jack Miller as the first star of the game and talk about this, that, or the other. I don't remember any of it kind of thing. Do I ever wish I had the game tape for that one? To be honest. I, I can that believe that. I mean, like that's a badge of honor. The amount of effort that somebody or somebody's went to <laughs> to create the John Tanner effigy that they could lower from the rafters at the Memorial Center. That's unreal. It's a badge of something. I'm doubting it's honor. <laughs> okay, fair. But, but I'll, we'll go with that for tonight's uh, conversation, Mike. Yeah, um, <laughs> it was it was a bit. I, I mean, after the game, the conversation on the bus was. I think I just kept. There were players back there, and they were hanging things. And he says. Hey, should we throw Tanner out the bus? Should we do this? Hang him out the window or something like that? It was, it was fun. And oh, I think we had a game on the Sunday, so we were off to somewhere. 
Um, but that was the OHL back then. I imagine now even the players are put to the test two or three nights in a row very often. I'm guessing. Yeah, it it does. It happens. The three and threes, we had them a couple of weekends back to back. We just finished a three and four. They got to cram in their 68 games over so many months somehow. So everybody pays the price once in a while. That's right. But that that was uh, that game. I mean, I I don't know. Todd Todd and myself brought it up when we were chatting. Uh, Todd Boysoon, I, I had mentioned to you earlier. It was 30 years ago and we just got together in person for the first time in 30 years. And we sat for about three or four hours at a wing place, just nattering, talking about everything in our lives. And we definitely reminisced. And that one came up. No, no surprise on that one. He still, he still remembers the goal that Trevor Dam scored low on the ice. And he said, I don't know how I let that in. I was like, dude, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I got first star. You're not getting it back that night, Todd. Sorry. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was quite the interesting time. Did you also request the trade to Sudbury, or how did that come to pass from London to the Wolves? Well, they fired Maxner after the uh, our debacle the previous year when we lost in the first round in Niagara Falls. Um, so the next year uh, they went with the assistant coach, promoted him, Gary Agnew, and Gary really, I think he knew I was done with junior. I think he knew. He and I didn't click anyways, which is fine. I didn't need to click. He was the coach and whatnot. But I, I think I was more interested in getting to pro, getting through junior, and to be quite frank with you, have more fun off the ice. I'd signed my contract. I had uh, my new car. Um, I got the earlier year. I was I was just ready to go pro, right? And junior didn't hold. And, and that team in London was decent. Didn't think we were going to win the whole thing. But my focus wasn't there. And I think he knew that. And he saw an opportunity. Sudbury needed somebody because their goaltending just wasn't hitting the mark at the time. I got to know Dan Ryder, who was the goalie at the time. He had actually quite a, a, a good goalie. Kitchener area, I think, too, as well. I think he Fresla, he was living at one point. Anywho, uh, I went there. And uh, we were okay. I played okay. Not great. I was just ready to go pro. I'm not proud of that, but uh, I didn't see that one coming. That one hurt in the sense that uh, my my current wife and woman of, or girl of interest back then was going to Western and we were just kind of reconnecting the relationship and uh, I got traded. That bummed me out. Let's be honest. There's other things to hockey, but, uh, and I had been all hockey all my life until about that point. So that actually hurt me. It was a personal thing. And I went to, I was, I was completely, completely girl sick while I was in, in Sudbury. Not a happy camper, to be quite frank with you. It's a tough place. Coming, did you? No, I, not really. But <laughs> I like the honesty. And again, it just speaks to, you know, when we, when we watch these players and we follow these teams, we, I don't think we fully grasp what they're going through as human beings at that age and stage of their life. Sure. Uh, if you've got a kid at home and I have a 17 year old who just got into her first university uh, about an hour ago, I was like, yes, that's awesome. Accepted. Yep. And I got another daughter who's 20 who's just graduating from Queens this year. Um, and I, uh, you know, when I see what they go through, I mean, it reminds me of some of the stuff I go through much different than the girls, of course, but uh, sometimes not as bad, but um yeah, they're, they're going through life. And then you've got the pressure of the performance. You have to go to school. You have to get some level of marks so the team's going to have a problem with you. Um, 
you've got to do community participation, which I think is actually incredibly important. It's going to round you out. You're going to be, you're going to meet people and you're going to impact people. So when any of those Kitchener Ranger players that you're around, if you ever hear them suggesting, oh, I'm exhausted. I don't know if I can do that booster thing or whatever. Just do it. It pays off in the end. It's good karma and it's just good for you. And I was one of the moaners and whiners too at times, no doubt about it. But I've seen where it pays off and how it just makes you a better person. And I know how you can impact people. Because apparently I just got a hockey card sent to me from a, somebody in Czechoslovakia. And apparently I've always been their favorite goalie and their hero. And they've always looked up to me. See? See what you can do? Now, that was a little tongue-in-cheek, but you, you, my, my point is it is actually important. But all these kids are going through that, and they like girls, and they like to have fun. Well, those things don't all line up with three games and three nights sometimes, you know, or curfew. And so you you sacrifice to get the opportunity. To play in the OHL is a huge opportunity. You got to make it work if you want it to be successful for you. Whatever it is, whatever your goal is, or whatever you try to accomplish, um, it, it's a great opportunity. But there is a sacrifice, and most things in life that are any good require some kind of sacrifice. So it, they are going through a lot, and I, at that time, I was going through a ton. And you know, it's just it, it just sometimes it changes your behavior. Some damn days you're off. The next thing you know, you've got a, a newspaper reporter saying, I, I've heard it, they'll call a player uh, arrogant or or enigmatic or um, something or other. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. And I mean, it's not like the NHL players don't have lives going on. They got kids at school, they got wives, and some of them. And they've got things going on in their life too. But you're a boy. You're a 16, 17-year-old boy coming to the league. And yes, the players get older, but you come in essentially as a boy it's a it's a lot it's a lot to take in like i was mature on the face of it immature emotionally uh uh underneath the you know if you peel back the, the layers of onion i was a country bumpkin and and not particularly mature how do you it's look back look. how do you look back on. now john on the time you spent in the NHL, you, that, I mean, your first game was such a great story with Jerry Cheevers on the way there. You end up playing a handful with the Quebec Nordiques. How do you look back on that part of your career? Well, it doesn't take very long. Um, <laughs> so that's always good. I mean, if I talk, if anybody says, here, give me a quick, just a boom, boom, your career. I'm like, cool, no problem. It was boom, boom. Um, how do I look back on it? Honestly, I don't regret it. You know, the only thing I really regretted was, and I'll just be, it, just so you know, I'm a bit candid about things and I say things where I see them. Uh, I, the only thing I regret is uh, I don't miss the money. I probably, I had a lot of talent. I was, a, I was a very good player. I could have been a very good player, but once I got there and, and it's funny, it'll circle back to my wife. Um, I didn't get to spend much time with my wife. We didn't connect and uh, things went off the rails for me and I just wasn't the same person and I just went about having fun and I was a first all-star team off the ice not so much on the ice and that's just the absolute truth that encapsulates it I had a, a really good time my commitment to the game went from you know uber to uh to very minimal and it's it's I the thing that I look back on my parents busted their ass to give me the opportunities they like we had an apple orchard, a farm, uh, an apple farm, we'll call it. They would be out there 
busting their asses by themselves, not hiring people so they could save more money to buy me the better equipment as I grew up. And then even to go see me all the time and support me and bring me every Thursday night. Thursday night's a Peterborough night. It used to be anyways. Still is. Be there. They'd be there most Thursday nights. And my dad was doing that plus a job at one point uh, in my first year at least. So he was falling asleep in the stands. But they weren't going to miss games, bringing me care packages, supporting me, uh, paying my long distance bills. Because back then, Bell just was the worst. Um, we didn't have this. We didn't have the rates were ridiculous. But they did what they could. Um, and that's the part I regret is I think that I would have honored them with greater effort, I think, as I went along and in, into my pro career. Because um, it's not that they were looking for riches or wealth, but it just would have honored them, I think, in their efforts. And, uh, you know, yeah. And if I could have returned the favor, that would have been nice too. But I look back, I learned a lot of lessons. I, I ended up getting married young to the wrong person. Um, and I told my wife, uh, a week ago, I got to tell you, I told her I can, I can circle back and see the end of my hockey career when I was 18, when I met you, because I, I, all I ever wanted was her and I ended up, yeah, I got her back. I got married, had a kid, had a practice marriage, got divorced, went to Finland. Well, actually before Finland, I connected with her and we've been together ever since about 25, 26, or, yeah, 25, 26. And we've been together ever since. And that's all I ever wanted. And that's what I got. And uh, and I'm so I don't look with any regret on it. I look back at it with laughs. I try to have fun with it. I try to make fun of it. Um, I had some good experiences. I remember my first game, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, against Hartford. That was pretty chilling. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's how I look back. I, I, I actually could look back and I could see the end of my career more than I can see the beginning. And I've had a fabulous life with my wife and we're going to have a great life, whatever we have left. It's just been great. So that, that is not the answer you were anticipating, was it? No, you know what? It I never know where that's going to go. And I, I love that answer because it speaks to, I think, the perspective that we all gain. And you referred to yourself, John, on more than one occasion during this conversation as being immature at the time. And you're at least, unless you're faking it really well, <laughs> the exact opposite of that at this point, for sure. Not that. No, no, that's who I was. Um, I, I, that's just who I am. I am, I was, uh, you know, up to that point, uh, in, in my first couple of years, junior, I was the guy training, doing all the right things, always in on time after that, maybe for a while. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't that I just went crazy. I, I just, I just grew, I grew up and I grew up differently. And I, I remember meeting my wife and my, my life, even when I wasn't with her, kind of centered around what was she doing? Well, I get, I'm going to get her back someday kind of thing. I mean, she was always there. And, and I know that's crazy, but that's what it was. That's truly what it was. That year when I went back, we had broken up. We thought we were together. And that year I made it as a 19-year-old. I went to camp when I said, oh, I'm going to come back and get a job. And I did, which was cool. Um, I went to camp that year and I was in the worst mood. I was angry, not happy. And I just demolished every team I played against. I went through training. I was a, I was a, I'm a hall of famer train of camp goalie, training camp goalie. I mean, exhibition games, you might as well just give me the first star. I mean, uh, the year that the, the game that made it for me, I won my games and we went to uh, Montreal sec. We had two exhibition games left. I was there, Scott Gordon, 
better coach than goalie. He knows that. And uh, Ron Tugnut, uh, who played there the year previously and uh, who had played in Peterborough, of course, right? Of course, course. we get drafted where all the Peterborough goalies was, you know, I mean, go figure. So uh, the second last game was in Montreal. I grew up hating the the Habs. I was a Bruins fan, as you gathered. Uh, And uh, I was nervous, but excited. And uh, we we lost 2-1, but I got first star. I still have the clipping. Key Carbono, second star. Patrick Waugh, third star, you know. But had a great game uh, in Montreal. And an exhibition game against Montreal is like a playoff game anywhere else. It's just like war between those teams back in the day. Um, and we went back to Quebec and uh, you know, to play the last exhibition game. I wasn't playing. They put Tugger in. And he didn't have a good game. And we lost. And, of course, Tugger went on to have a really great career. Um, and he's a super person, too. Really nice man. I actually stayed his billets place they actually put me in peterborough in his billets place at one point i mean the coincidence is just they're everywhere um but uh he played terrible and i walked in the next morning uh and tugger was walking out he says congrats uh tans way to go and all the reporters around me and they reminded me of my quote you said last year you're coming here to learn and all that stuff and you, you were coming back for a job this year well now you got the job the team had announced it and everything and i was didn't tell me and so I'm circled by reporting. That was when you accomplish something that nobody does generally. I felt pretty good. I felt pretty good. Yeah, I didn't displace, uh, you know, um, uh, Glenn Hall or Terry Sawchuk, but Tugger was a good goalie, you know, and, and I made an NHL team as an NHL. I felt really, that was one of my, I don't know. It's it, it's not a trophy, but it was a, an accomplishment. It really stuck with me over time. That if you really do want something and work at it, of course, nobody knew that I was just angry because my girlfriend and I was trying to show her she should have stuck with me. But besides that, you could still accomplish your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> you never. It doesn't matter. Something motivated you. Something made yeah. you know had you going. Okay. How did you know when it was time to transition out of the game? Uh, when I was in Johnstown. <laughs> I could stop there probably, but I was in the <laughs> East Coast League. I'd gone to Finland and played, I got three shutouts and 10 games for, uh, in Hamelina or HPK, whatever. Don't try to figure out the Finnish language. It's not figure outable. You, you needed a, if you went to eat somewhere, you needed a Swedish menu because at least you could use Latin to figure out what they were talking and what a mushroom is or something. But um, I went there, played great, got offered more money to go to another team tax-free and I said no I'm going home and the only team that would take me even though I played well because I kind of exhausted things was Wheeling in West Virginia uh, Wheeling Nailers so I went there was playing really well and I had interest uh, the Hamilton Canucks wanted to bring me in and play there and we we're in Johnstown and I let in like five or six goals we lost actually played well that's how bad the hockey was and there was no defense but i was sitting on the bus and i would look back at it and the goals were going in i wasn't hating it anymore and my wife who i was going out with at the time my current wife had left like days earlier and it was like our second game and i think it already happened but i noticed i didn't hate letting goals in i didn't hate it and i always hated it letting a goal in and i didn't I'm not saying it was always healthy either, by the way. That's another story. But I, I hated it with a passion. And I was like, oh, I let a goal in. And I knew that I got to stop. So I'm sitting on that bus. I'm 25 or 6, whatever it was. 
And I said, yeah, I'm done. And I went home. I just told Tom McVie, uh, I went in, who is an old, I don't know what the hell he was doing in the East Coast. So he could have coached somewhere else, but I don't know. Um, and he played, coached in the NHL, AHL. And so I went in to tell him that I was retiring the next day. And he's like, oh, okay, I get it. I understand. So a guy's telling you he's going to retire. And I, I said, yeah, I'm done. I'm going to leave uh, tomorrow morning or whatever. And um, he says, all right, I understand. But our other, our goaltending was very weak outside of me. So our backup goalie wasn't that good at the time anyways. And uh, Tom says, by the way, I got to ask, do you mind playing one more, please? <laughs> I said, I said, uh, no, sorry, Tom, I've checked out. I'm, I'm done. <laughs> you know, I'll back up or whatever. I don't care, I, but I'm, I'm done. And, uh, but it was just funny. I just thought, oh man, I, I, the other guy doesn't know this and I hope he never sees this podcast, but yeah, he was, I was just like, yeah, no, no, I'm done. But uh, yeah, that was the end. I knew it was over, came home. Um, so, long story, got into computers uh, in IT, got a certification, got hired by CIBC and I got into, just over the years, built myself up and uh, yeah, I'm in IT security now and management, so, or mismanagement, depends on the day. <laughs> How much did you hate letting those goals in? How much did some of them eat at you after a loss? Oh, I always got the game tape. We used to be able to get the tapes, the, especially in Peterborough. Um, it was, they always made sure and I'd go home and study it and look at it and say, okay, I should have done this, that. And I'd work on it in the next practices and whatnot. More than I ever did in pro later on. I mean, in pro, I'd figure out where, where's the next, where's the bar? Which is the best bar? I mean, guys, muscles were in, Ham in Halifax, muscles in Moosehead, you know. Um, no wonder we were in last place. But anyways, um, yeah, uh, I, it was during a game, and my dad had instilled this. He always, I don't know who he, which goalie he liked now, but he always says, and he said that about Jerry Cheevers. He would let a goalie. He didn't say anything, do anything. Might take the puck out of the net. And he'd go stand at the top of his crease and just wait for the puck to drop. And that's basically what I did. Um, and I tried to convey that. And I'd get it out of my head. And I'd start saying, okay, this many minutes left. And I'd break down a period maybe by five-minute segments and things like that. And I talked to other goalies. Some of them did that. But back then, we didn't have anybody telling us to do this or train you on this. You know, maybe you'd read a book on it. Maybe you wouldn't. There weren't a ton on goaltending. None good anyways. Um, so, but it was, it was palpable and it would drive me crazy. Uh, Todd Boysoon, my goaltending partner, I said that to him uh, when we met a month ago. After all these years, I said, man, I don't think, I think you're the only one who's, who let, who hated letting goals in more than I did. Um, and he, he let it really hit him hard. So for either of us, a bad game, we were a wreck until we could rectify it with a good game and then we were fully back when we had two good games that's just the way we were and uh, i'm sure the goalies are like that now um just with proper nutrition better training and coaching geared towards actual goalies far better equipment i mean i came into peterborough with my own equipment i had to wear most of it my joe we had jody hull on our team who was a first round pick to hartford had a rocket for a wrist shot let alone a slap shot but he would come in and Jody, a fellow Cambridge uh, citizen, would come in and, uh, I don't know, he, he just loved punishing my glove hand. My old Vaughn catcher had nothing left. My hand was a swollen black and blue mess, constantly. It just killed. And uh, I said, you know, to the trainer and Jeff Tui and then to Dick Todd, 
this is killing me. I need a new glove. And this is back, this is 1987, 1987, 88. And Dick came in, puts on my glove. He's like, ah, it's got great action. It's great for catching the pucks. I said, yeah, it's great for that. It's just that I can't feel anything anymore except pain, you know, and eventually we got our gear. Once we kind of proven ourselves after a couple months and we were leading the lead in all the categories and we were in first place, then I guess we were worth the new goalie pads. And uh, I don't think I got new goalie pads that year. I got glove. I got a glove. But uh, times have changed, clearly. So, have they yeah, ever? Yeah, for sure. Listen, speaking of time, I want to be respectful of yours. This has been an incredible conversation. Everything that Tyler told me it would be, everything about John Tanner that he has heard, he said, was fascinating. And I have to say, uh, I agree. This has been an incredible chat. Thanks for making time for, for doing it with us. Uh, it's been enjoyable. I haven't been on a podcast before. I've been interviewed a billion times for things. And uh, I always I always had a kind of a delight in being in the media, even in Peterborough in my second year, third, that third season, when Todd or I wouldn't play, uh, we would sit out. We had a third goalie, Andrew Werner, who ended up having a good OHL career, and the other would sit. And uh, I would go on the air with, uh, oh, I don't know if you'll know him, Bill. Oh, it kills me. I don't know. Anyways, he was the play-by-play guy for Peter Rofer here, and he was excellent. Um, he kept toasty warm all the time, too. But uh, <laughs> Bill was fantastic, and I'll get his name for you sometime. He was outstanding, and I would do the color. And boy, did I do color. Um, and uh, I was more appreciated, I think, in Peter Rowe at the time, before I got traded, of course. Um but uh, more appreciated for being on the air and the giving color than I was in the net. But I, I, I really enjoyed being, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. It does make me look back and I like being candid and I like telling uh, people that these are kids. These are kids and they're awesome. And they wear those Kitchener Ranger uh, colors and uniforms proud, but they're, they are kids. Yeah. Give them a hard time once in a while if they're not trying, but remember that they're, they're boys out there. Um, they've got hopes and dreams and, uh, Eh, give him an extra cheer here and there. It's a perfect note to end it on. John, thanks again for being a guest on the OHL podcast. A lot of fun, Mike. Thank you. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.